Welcome back, friends, and thanks for downloading this pop-up episode of How to Wow with the one and the only Johan Hari. Johan's brand-new book is a must-read. It's called Stolen Focus. It is spectacular, but it also happens to be probably the scariest book I've ever read. But first... Every morning, Tash, my wife, and I go scoop da loop with one heap scoopful of this all-round nutritional insurance, which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multi-mineral, probiotic, green superfood, scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy, recovery, immunity, and digestion. Deep seaweed green, like nature itself. This eye candy concoction takes just a few seconds, like no more than five or six, okay, ten tops, to prepare and taste absolutely gorgeous. And so, here's how you can get yours. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash howtowow and join health experts, athletes, and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash howtowow, okay, and don't forget get slash how to wow because this will entitle you to the special deal athletic greens have given how to wow listeners a free year's supply of vitamin d and five travel free packs today to take with you on the go once again athleticgreens.com slash don't forget how to wow all right then here we go 30 minutes of gold from johan hari Good morning, Johan. Hooray, Chris. Great to be there. That's the best intro I've ever had. So <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. By the way, that's, that's what we do. It's our stock <laughs> trade. Uh, what a book. What a book, everyone. Johan Hari's Stolen Focus. Why you cannot pay attention. It's not your fault. Big tech has you. It has all of us surrounded. Is there anything we can do about it? Now, Johan is brilliant at TED Talks. Uh, there isn't a TED Talk to do with this book yet, but I suspect you probably have one prepared. So I'm just <laughs> going to give you the airwaves and you can talk about this for as long as you like. And then I'll just pick up as and when. Oh, great. Well, I noticed that my own ability to pay attention was just getting worse and worse. With every year that passed, it felt like things that required deep focus, like reading a book, watching a long film, were getting more and more like running up a down escalator. Do you know what I mean? I could do it, but it was getting harder and harder. And I could see this seem to be happening to loads of the people around me. But I kept blaming myself. Whenever I felt this happen... I would go into this little spiral of shaming myself. I would say, oh, you're just being lazy. You don't have enough willpower. But then I started looking at the figures that suggested this is really widespread, that the average office worker now focuses on any one task for only three minutes. Um, since I was, for every child who was diagnosed with serious attention problems when I was seven years old, there's now a hundred children who are diagnosed with serious attention problems. I started to think, is there something bigger going on here? But to be honest, I was quite afraid to look into it. And there was a moment when I thought, you know what, I have to research this. I've got a godson named Adam, who, when he was nine, a long time ago, got totally obsessed with Elvis. And it was especially cute because he didn't know that Elvis had become this cheesy cliche. So he would kind of run around singing Viva Las Vegas and Suspicious Minds with all the kind of, you know, that heart-catching sincerity kids have when they think they're being cool. And when I used to tuck him in at night, he kept getting me to tell him the story of Elvis. I tried to skip over the end where he dies on the toilet. And, he, and one night he said to me, <laughs> you know, Johan, will you take me to Graceland one day? And I said, yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, do you really promise one day you will take me to Graceland? And the way that you give promises to nine-year-olds, knowing the next week they're going to want to go to Legoland or whatever, I was like, I absolutely promise one day we'll go there. And I didn't think of that moment again until 10 years later when just everything had gone wrong. He dropped out of school when he was 15. And by the time he was 19, he just seemed to spend his whole life 
alternating between WhatsApp, YouTube, porn, Snapchat. And it was like his mind was sort of whirring at the speed of TikTok, you know, where nothing still or serious could touch him. And he's a lovely person. He's really intelligent. And I remember one day we were sitting on my sofa and I was trying to get a conversation going and he's just from one thing to another to another. And I was sitting there on my own devices and I, I sort of was disgusted at what happened to him, but I was also disgusted at myself. And I suddenly remembered this moment from all those years before. And I said, hey, let's go to Graceland. And he was like, what? He didn't even remember this moment, right? But I was like, no, no, we've got to break this numbing routine. This is no way to live. Let's go to Graceland. But you've got to promise me one thing. When we go, you've got to leave your phone in the hotel so we can actually see what we go to see, right? And he promised. And two weeks later, we flew from Heathrow to New Orleans. We went there first. And we travelled all around the south. And a little while later, we got to Memphis. And have you been to Graceland, Chris? No, I have not. Oh, you've got to go. I recommend everyone goes. But when you arrive at the gates of Graceland, there isn't a person to show you around anymore. This is even before COVID. What happens is they give you an iPad. And you put in earbuds and the iPad shows you around. So it says go left, go right. And it explains where you are, gives you a bit of history. And it shows you that room on the iPad. So what happens is everyone walks around Graceland staring at an iPad, so right? Mad. And so I'm sort of walking around with them, trying to sort of make eye contact to go, oh, this is funny. We're the people who travel thousands of miles and actually looked at the place we came to. But I just could not get any eye contact going with people. And then we got into the jungle room, which is Elvis's favourite room in Graceland. And there's this Canadian couple next to me. And the husband turned to his wife and said, honey, this is amazing. Look, if you swipe left, you can see the jungle room to the left. And if you swipe right, you can see the jungle room to the right. And I laughed. I thought he was joking. And then I turned and they're just swiping back and forth. And I, and I said to them, but hey, sir, there's an old fashioned form of swiping you could do. It's called turning your head because we're actually in the jungle room. You don't have to look at it on an iPad. We're literally there. And they sort of backed away, clearly thinking I was a nutcase. And I turned to my godson to laugh about it. And he was in a corner looking at Snapchat because from the minute we landed, he just could not stop. And I walked up to him and I was, I did what lots of people in parental situations done. I tried to grab the phone off him, which is never a good strategy. And I said to him, I know you're afraid of missing out, but this is guaranteeing that you'll miss out, right? You're not showing up to your own life. You're not being present at your own life. And he stomped off and I wandered around Graceland on my own for a few hours. And I found him that night in the Heartbreak Hotel where we were staying across the street. And he was sitting by the swimming pool, which is shaped like a guitar. And he's looking at his phone and I went up to him and I apologised. And he couldn't look up from his phone, but he said, I know something's really wrong. I just don't know what it is. And that's when I thought, you know what, it's really wrong that I'm putting off researching this. So in the three years that followed, I went on a really big journey all over the world from Miami to Moscow to Melbourne. And I interviewed over 200 of the leading experts in the world on attention and focus. And I learned from them that there's scientific evidence for 12 factors that can make your attention better or can make it worse. And loads of the factors that can make your attention worse have been rising in recent years. It led me to conclude this is a very real crisis. It's one that's actually poised to get even worse than where we are now. And we've got to deal with it. And there's several ways we've got to deal with it. But the first thing to understand is that your attention did not collapse. Your attention has been stolen from you by really big powerful forces, some of which are tech, and actually surprisingly tech is not the biggest. There are other really deep changes in how we're living that are really corroding our attention. And we've got to tackle that at two levels. We've got to, at an individual level, 
we've got to um, protect ourselves and our children as best we can. And there's all sorts of techniques I talk about in my book, Stolen Focus, that are very practical that we can do that. But also, we've got to take on these forces that are doing this to us. Because at the moment, it's like someone is pouring itching powder over us all day. And they're saying, and then that person is leaning forward to us and going, do you know what, mate? Uh, you might want to learn how to meditate. Then you wouldn't scratch so much, right? Now, I'm strongly in favor of meditation, but we've also got to stop the person, the forces that are pouring this itching powder over us. Does that ring true to you, Chris? And that's a big overview. Yeah, no, it rings massively true uh, to me. And um, what's fascinating is you, you start the book off, um, well, with that story, actually, the one you've just told, and then you move on to you going somewhere. So you, you have a self-imposed sabbatical um, where you have a sort of temporary digital detox and you talk about leaving your laptop behind and your your phone behind now i haven't had the phone for three years yeah they told me that before i came in that blows my mind so why did you stop well i stopped for various reasons i think um i stopped because I, I think about this more and more as, as people ask me about it more and more i stopped because it was a time thief it was an attention mm. thief it was an energy thief and it was it was a focus thief and it was just something that I didn't want in my life. I didn't want it in my life. I didn't think I needed it in my life. And then, you know, you refer to it in your book, you, you reference it in your book. But so if people say, oh, you've given up your phone. What happens if there's an emergency? And you go, <laughs> and you you answered the question that I've been searching for an answer for to, not that I want an answer. I don't even want to be asked the question because that is right. their default question. What happens if there's an emergency? I say, okay, but... The risk and reward um, uh, assessment for me of there being an emergency and me keeping a phone for that, but then opening the floodgates, whether I want them open or not, to all the other things that you talk about in the book that have us surrounded invisibly that we may not necessarily be aware of. And so for me, that was very, very interesting. You know, um, and I do recognise the the auto plays and the suggested videos that come up next. You know, from 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 YouTube or from, on Facebook or, or whatever it may be, um, and this sort of continuation of them. You know, what about this? What about this? What about this? Oh, have you thought about this? Uh, and how about that? And I love the the um, this the similarity you, or the the metaphor you use of suggesting it's like a GPS doing what in your car because you wouldn't put up with the same kind of. Of, of information stream in your car, would you? Because you'd end up somewhere you didn't want to be. Yeah, this is so There's so many things in what you're saying, Chris. And I'm just thinking about, I suspect, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think one of the things you were sensing that led you to give up your phone, um, and by the way, there's lots of things people can do short of giving up their phones that we can talk about, but I think one of the things that led you to it is an insight it took me longer to get and that I learned from talking to these experts, which is, I would just say to anyone listening, think about anything you've ever achieved in your life that you're proud of whether it's starting a business, learning to play the guitar well, being a good parent, whatever it is, that thing you're proud of took a lot of sustained focus and attention. Yeah. If you hadn't had that, you wouldn't have been able to do those things. And when attention breaks down, and I think there's good evidence that our attention is breaking down, it's particularly bad for our kids, but it's happening to almost all of us, your ability to achieve your goals and solve your problems starts to break down as well. And so you end up becoming almost like a kind of stump of yourself, right? You can sense what you would have been had you been able to apply yourself, but you just become lost in this haze of just nonsense, right? That's that's consuming all of us. So like you say, to try to deal with that, I, so I initially thought this was totally a personal problem with me, with my willpower, I later learned it's connected to a huge array of things from the food we eat is having a terrible effect on our ability to pay attention. The amount of sleep we get in our culture is destroying our ability to pay attention. There's 12 of these factors. But for me at the time, I thought the problem is in me, the problem is in my phone. So I went to this place called Provincetown, which some people listening will know. It's a little town in Cape Cod. Um, 
And it's a, it's a kind of funny little resort town. To give you a sense of what it's like, it's the kind of place where more than one person earns a living by dressing as Ursula, the villain from The Little Mermaid, and singing songs about sex acts so obscene, I'm sure I can't mention them on Virgin Radio, right? <laughs> so I go there, I left my phone and my um, I left my smartphone and my laptop in, in Boston, go over the water to Cape Cod, and, um, and I just had three months of just being completely away from this. I later realized there were actually lots of other changes that improved my attention. And one thing that blew my mind was, for a long time I just thought, okay, I'm getting older. As people get older, doesn't their attention get worse? Maybe it's not about this, maybe I'm just degraded, right? My attention went back to what it had been when I was 17. I could sit and read really long books. My focus just flowed. And later when I interviewed loads of experts, I learned some of the scientific evidence for why my attention got so much better. I'll give you one example. I went to interview a guy called Professor Earl Miller, who's one of the leading neuroscientists in the world. And he said to me, look, you've got to understand one thing more than anything else about the human brain. You can only consciously think about one thing at a time or at the most two. That's it. Human brain hasn't changed in 40,000 years, ain't gonna change on any timetable. We're gonna see that's your limitation. But what's happened is we've fallen from massive delusion. We've convinced ourselves the average teenager believes they can follow seven forms of media at the same time. So what happens is these scientists, they get people into labs and they get them to think they're doing lots of things at the same time. Turns out that's not what you're doing. You're juggling. You're very rapidly juggling between tasks. You're switching. Oh, Facebook, WhatsApp, writing, Facebook, WhatsApp, writing, whatever it might be. And it turns out that switching, which seems like such a small thing, comes with a huge mental cost. The kind of fancy term for it is the switch cost effect. There's loads of evidence for this, but there's one little study that really made it land for me. You know Hewlett Packard, the printer company? They got in a scientist to come in and do a little study with their workers, and he split their workers into two groups. First group, uh, they told them, the scientist told them, just do whatever your task is for the day and you're not gonna be interrupted. And the second group uh, was told, do your task and you're going to have to answer your email and a heavy amount of phone calls, right? And then at the end of it, they tested the IQ of both these groups. The people who had been interrupted scored 10 IQ points lower than the people who hadn't. To give you a sense of how big that effect is, if you or me sat here now and smoked a fat spliff and got stoned, our IQs would go down by five points. So being distracted, at least in the short term, there's a longer debate about a debate about cannabis in the longer term, but in the short term, it's twice as bad for you as getting stoned. You would be better off sitting at your desk, getting stoned and doing one thing at a time than sitting at your desk, not getting stoned and just being constantly interrupted. But most of us are being constantly interrupted. There's um, a scientist called Professor Michael Posner at the University of Oregon who discovered that if you get interrupted, it takes you on average 23 minutes to get back to the level of focus that you had before you were interrupted. But most of us are, a lot of us are never going 23 minutes without being interrupted. We're constantly operating at this depleted level of brain power. So that's one of these 12 big factors. And I can talk about some of the very practical ways we can deal yeah, with that. Well, first of all, before you move on to that, mm. combine what you've just said, or, or if you're listening, if you combine uh, what Johan has just said with then being tired, which also debilitates your IQ, with not being hydrated properly, with mm. being over caffeinated, uh, with eating the wrong kind of food that is helpful to your well-being, that then this problem gets compounded and therefore we become weaker and more vulnerable to forces that are more sober, stronger and organised than we are. And we are infinitely outnumbered. Yeah, I think you've put that brilliantly. The way I started to think about the social media is 
These things are designed to hack and invade our attention. I'm sure we'll get to that. And they're like a virus. But they arrived at a moment when our our immune system was already down. We were already doing loads of things. So you mentioned, for example, sleep, which is a really obvious one. And, and the research on this, when I interviewed the experts, was pretty shocking, actually. Only 15% of us wake up feeling refreshed. And, and I went to interview lots of people about this, but the leading expert on sleep in the world is a man, or one of them is a man called Dr. Charles Seisler, who's at Harvard Medical School. And he did this, a series of pieces of research that really shocked me. If you stay awake for 19 hours, which doesn't feel like a long amount of time, your attention deteriorates as badly as if you got drunk. But he did a, one piece of research that really chilled me. So he, did, he combined two forms of technology. There's a technology that can scan your eyes to see what you're looking at. And there's a technology that can scan your brain. So he puts tired people into these machines. And what he discovered is you can appear to be awake. You can be looking around. You can be talking but whole parts of your brain have literally gone to sleep. You are not awake, right? <laughs> I was really that. Because they've got fed up of waiting for you to go to sleep. <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? It's and you just crazy. Think, that's, that's a really good, I wish I thought to put that that way in the book. And, and when you look at the, why that is, uh, there's a brilliant person called Professor Roxanne Prashad at the University of Minneapolis where I interviewed her, explained to me, when you're sleeping, your brain is repairing, yeah. right? It's cleaning itself, it's clearing out the metabolic waste that builds up during the day, it's carrying it down to your liver, it's washing it away. If you don't sleep, your brain becomes physically clogged up with metabolic waste. It's why you actually feel a little bit hungover when you haven't slept properly. And, and Dr. Seisler said to me, um, even, we, we know that we sleep less than we used to. There's pretty strong scientific agreement on this. We sleep an hour less than we did um, in 1942 and actually children sleep 85 minutes less than they used to and children when they don't sleep become manic uh, often um, he said to me even if nothing else had changed in our society that alone would be causing a really significant yeah, attention yeah, crisis yeah, yeah, yeah. and as we all know, know that is not the only change know, that's happened it's a cacophony of chaos that we're actually normalizing which is really frightening and if you don't get enough sleep you know your brain does get fed up of waiting for you and that's why you have this microdosing. forget microdosing, but you have microdosing, which is why you people mm. you know your brain will fall asleep if you don't it will and that's when you have trouble with sleep driving and all this other kind of stuff uh, we've got about uh, six seven minutes left right and there's so much in this book so much <laughs> <laughs> so much unbelievable uh, sort of juicy dynamite that you have to read. Where do you want to go next? Make, how can you best make use of the next six minutes on the radio? So I think there's loads of things we could talk about. Uh, there's, I think there's two levels at which we've got to deal with this. Like I say, we've got to protect ourselves. So I'll give you an example. I go through dozens of things in Stolen Focus that everyone listening can do tomorrow to begin to protect themselves and their kids. And I think it's particularly important for our kids um, the last quarter of the book is about why our children are struggling to focus, why there's been an explosion in attention problems among children. But I'll just give you an example of one of the things that I started doing, which is um, I've got in my flat uh, and in my office, I've got a K safe, which is basically a big plastic safe. You take the lid off, you put your phone in, you put the lid on, you turn the dial at the top and it will lock your phone away for anything between five minutes and a whole day, right? I and use there's that. nothing you can do about it's it. No, you, could, you could pick up a hammer and smash it. I use that every day for four hours. I will not sit down with my boyfriend and watch a film unless he puts his in there because it does my head in if in the middle of a film he starts suddenly Googling things. And there's something about when you start doing that, it's really hard, right? And even in Provincetown, I felt these incredible itches where you're like, what's happening out there? But the more time you give yourself to focus, 
the more you get the joy of focus, the more you get the joy of living again in a deeper, slower way, where you begin to be able to think about your problems, you begin to be able to solve things. So that's one one thing everyone can do. I go through dozens of things in the book. Which is quite extreme, actually, if you yeah, think about it. it. It's, it's which, like a, a heroin addict putting his heroin in a case. case exactly, eight. exactly. And I've got a lot of uh, experience with heroin addiction with people close to me, so I'm, I'm aware of how close that analogy is. But, th- but I really think we all need to start doing things Anything like... Anything is better than nothing. Exactly. Yeah. I also think, though, we need to level with people, which is that there's lots of things you can do individually, but that will only get you so far. Because at some level, we're going to have to take on these forces that are doing this to us. And there are all sorts of practical ways we can do that. And so I interviewed some of the leading dissidents in Silicon Valley, the people who designed the stuff that your kids are using every day, that I'm using. They have been consumed by their own devices. They're as addicted as we are. They're sickened by what they've done. And they're proposing solutions. So the core thing to understand is that social media doesn't have to work this way. You're going to remember, Chris, there's a thing in the past that I just about remember, um, it used to be common for people to paint their homes with lead paint and to put leaded petrol in their cars. I remember my mum filling up a mini with leaded petrol. And then it was discovered that leaded petrol uh, or exposure to lead generally really damages children's ability to pay attention. So what did we do? We did not ban paint. We did not ban petrol. We banned leaded paint and leaded petrol. In the same way, there are specific aspects of how social media works that need to be banned through regulation. Not the whole thing, there's lots of good things about social media, but at the moment, it's very simple. The business model for social media is easy. Every time you pick up your phone and scroll, they make more money. Every time you put down your phone, they lose money. So all of these genius engineers, people like BJ Fogg, you know, all these incredibly clever people with their algorithms and their phenomenal computing power are constantly thinking about one thing. How do we get Chris, how do we get Chris's kids to pick up their phone as often as possible and scroll as long as possible? And as long as that's their business model, they're gonna, we're never going to deal with it, right? So the solution is to ban that business model and force them to move to another business model. And I talk about how we can do that in the book. But, and there's lots of other business models they could be made to take. But that's the equivalent of getting the lead out of the lead paint, right? That's, that's the way we deal with the underlying causes. But the crucial thing for everyone listening to understand is, if you are struggling to focus and pay attention, stop blaming yourself. It's not your fault. This is happening to all of us. Your attention is being hacked and invaded. And we've got to change our psychology on this. We are not medieval peasants begging at the court of King Zuckerberg for a few little crumbs of attention from his table. We are the free citizens of democracies. We own our own minds and we can take them back from the forces that are stealing our kids' attention and are stealing our attention. They don't have to be allowed to continue. These are relatively new trends. And just as a last thought, I interviewed this amazing guy called Dr. James Williams, uh, who used to work at Google, was horrified by what they'd done and quit. He said to me, you know, the axe existed for 1.4 million years before anyone thought to put a handle on it. The internet has existed for less than 10,000 days. We can change loads of things put about how Put a handle on it. Exactly. Put a damn handle on it. Exactly. But congratulations to you for being the sanest person and getting rid of your phone before you read my book. But, yeah, uh, but yeah. there's so many things we can all do but short of that. It's funny because your book made me feel freer about the decision I'd already made. That's so interesting. It's, yeah, because it made me more, even more mindful of it. And uh, Because, uh, you know, I do, I do feel less anxious than a lot of people around me. Who, 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 and it, far be it from me to judge whether they're anxious or not, but I can sort of see they are, but they can't, can't feel they are because they have to normalise 
normalise it or admit there's an issue and do something about and it. And did it make you tempted to change things like how you eat or how well, much no, you sleep? It, it, or... was, it, was, it wasn't the beginning of a re- personal revolution, It was, you know, but it was definitely the second or third chapter and it's just ongoing from there. I'm very fortunate because I can, I, you know, yeah. I, I have a job and I have a life and that I can afford to do that in, you know, and I You're don't have so to be right. connected. And that's a really big part of why we've got to have that second level of the collective change because at the moment, a lot of people can't make the changes you and me make, yeah. which is why we've got to have these big changes. Like in France, they just banned bosses from texting or emailing their workers outside their work yeah, yeah, hours, yeah. freed people up to actually do a lot of the things we want. We can fight for a ban like that what as is, well. What is interesting? I mean, you know, you're bringing on the revolution. You know, would you, uh, frankly, you know, as somebody who likes what you've written, that may turn some people off. Read the book and then they can make their own mind up about the revolution in the end, I think. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Uh, because cause you, you, that's all what's in the book is in you and you're thinking, and this is how it ends, you know, or this, <laughs> this is how it will end unless you do something about it. But what I found interesting as somebody who hasn't had a phone, genuinely hasn't had a phone for three years, if I need to use the phone, I borrow some ones, I don't use them very often. But there are certain things I can't do because certain things you cannot mm. do unless you have a phone. So mm. if, you, if, you, if you need to book something somewhere and you don't have a phone, A, people don't believe you, which is hilarious. <laughs> it's so true. It's, it's so hilarious. True. What do you mean you don't have a phone? Oh, <laughs> here he is again, you know. But there's certain things you can... They Certain things... The world has made impossible now unless you have a phone. And that's sort of... That's the beginning of the end because, because the, uh, you know, unless, they, you talk about... Um, a depression in one of your TED talks, and about the fact that it's uh, it's to do with a lot more things than we have thought it's to do with for a long, long time. Totally, and I think what you're saying is particularly important, Chris, because at the moment we're on a trajectory for these things to become more invasive if we don't act. Paul Graham, which is one of the who's one of the biggest investors in Silicon Valley, said that if things don't change, the world will be more addictive in the next forty years than they were in the last forty years. Think about how much more addictive TikTok is to kids yeah, than yeah. Facebook is. That's why we've got to get in here now because yeah. if kids don't form attention, they're going to struggle throughout their life we've got to protect our kids from this well you know the, the, what's it and we've got to stop because we're just out oh, of time sorry. <laughs> no, just because the show's over it's not because i don't want you talking about we actually the show is over uh but it's funny because again you refer to addiction there but there are certain things you can't you can't do unless you have a phone not because you're addicted to the phone because it doesn't exist now those exactly. those, those avenues of opportunity don't exist exactly. so you have no choice so you don't exactly. so they've they've taken it from addiction to well, there is no other way to do this. Totally. You know, interesting. More than interesting. You're awesome. Oh, thanks, uh, when Chris. Is, when is the TED Talk going to happen for this? Sometime soon. But in the meantime, <laughs> if people want to read the book, it's called Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention, and it's out now. <laughs> it is out now. Um, and get the audio book as well. By the you way, want. you must have gathered some air miles because you love to travel when compiling. Because <laughs> you, you, you always go around the world to, to interview exactly. people about all your books, don't you? Think about it. You've got to sit with people, the scientists who've discovered these things, and really talk to them, study their research, but just talk to them for hours and hours until you know it begins to make sense. There we are. That was Johan Hari. Isn't he just amazing? Check out all of his TED Talks. Read all of his books. If you like that, don't forget to rate and review this episode. And why not dive into the How to Wow archives? Yes, we have archives now of How to Wow. For yet more wisdom, not from me, but from brilliant people just like uh, Sir Stephen Fry, my friend Rich Roll, and even Dave Grohl, plus many, many more. Cheerioses. <laughs>